Have you ever wondered what makes a Japanese frame so dang great? Is it the plastic they use? Is it the titanium? Or is it the pure skill set of the Japanese culture? We have the pleasure of having Christopher Esposito. Yes, he's an American citizen living in Japan for over two decades. And he is the expert on Japanese manufacturing, makes them all at his own facility, step by step by step. And this was originally a webinar recording. If you want to view the video, which is really impressive, we'll actually get a virtual tour of his factory. Go to the show notes and click the link to watch the webinar recording. And you're going to learn everything here. And uh, we're also going to be talking about the importance of offering Asian fit and African fitting frames. So if you want to know anything about frame manufacturing, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Entrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes. I'm Dr. Raymond Brill with my co-host, Harry Brill, and we're here to bring you stories about Wizards of Eyes. Yes, what is a wizard, Dr. Brill? These are folks that you may have heard about, may not have heard about. These are people who are actually very successful in doing what they do in all aspects of eye care. We're not talking to self-proclaimed industry geniuses, experts, masters, or gurus, because we're talking to wizards of eyes that make it happen each and every day. They are out there working every day in the labs, on the road, in the practices, in surgery suites, making lenses, making frames. Yes, we want to hear these back-of-the-house stories about innovation, entrepreneurship, and make you feel excited to do what you do. We want you to be energized about the whole eye care field. And this is not your big optical program. This is done out of the passion of our hearts. Please go ahead and subscribe to Entrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or your favorite app. Also, visit entrepreneur.com where you'll find our latest blogs and special video content. That's www.eyetrepreneur.com. Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Christopher Esposito, welcome. And um, you want to give a short 30 second uh, introduction who you are? Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate you all uh, joining us here. Greetings, uh, greetings from Sanjo, Japan. I've been here in Japan for 26 years. I came over as a research scientist. I used to design chemistries to uh, manufacture circuit boards, IC chips, liquid crystal displays. And um, after about uh, 12 or 13 years in the business, I ended up being director of a big group in an American uh, uh, a research in an American company. My life turned to politics. I had, in the meanwhile, gotten kidnapped by my now wife and uh, settled down over here, left and started a business doing import and export. And so as part of that business, it was outdoors products, sunglasses. Then I got into cutting our own sunglass lenses, importing frames into Japan, and really struggled with getting European-made frames, European frames, on the Asian face and, and high curve frames. And we tried everything. We would, you know, make special nose pads and this and that. And other. 
And about 10 years ago, or 12 years ago, I started having frames made in Fukui, which is where all of the eyewear in Japan is made, where 95% of the eyewear is made in Japan. And Fukui is all piecework. So one place does the temples, one place does the fronts, one place does the printing. It'll go through 10 shops before it's done. That worked really well when Japan was a high volume manufacturer, but once they became you know, sort of a lower volume, higher quality manufacturing um, area, that really hobbled the industry. And even now, there are only three factories in Japan, including ours, that can make an acetate frame from start to finish in house. And we're smallest by an order of magnitude. Um, and we also do some titanium work as well. So about 10 years ago, I started have 12 years ago, I started having frames made for us. And you learn when you get your first load of 2000 sunglasses at the end of summer, when they're supposed to be there in April, that you really don't want to be doing this. So instead of sinking money into stock, I put money into equipment. I used to be a woodworker. I am a woodworker. I have a woodworking shop here as well. Uh, I love making things. That, that is, you know, that is why I do what I do. And um, so put money into equipment. Ten years ago, we started making and selling frames. And maybe six, this was supposed to be our fifth or sixth Vision Expo East this year. Obviously, that did not happen. So um, anyway, so this is where we do it. There are only 10 of us. We're a, we're a small, small shop. But everything is done. Pretty much everything is done here in-house. The only thing we don't do is coatings. I used to do research on plating chemistries and whatnot. I know enough about it that I know I don't want to do it. <laughs> um, we use the best coding shops in Japan and uh, everything else is done here. So uh, we're going to give you a tour around the whole, you know, the, the, uh, the shop here today, show you how we do things. And then, uh, you know, talk about design and, and fitting and, and our different lines and everything else. After. So can I share a screen for a second here, Perry? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm going to preface a few things. So Chris is okay. going to give us a tour. Um, and then, we have a short ad from me. Um, and then Christopher is in business. So part of this is we do encourage you to support independent eyewear manufacturers, buy independent, break free from corporate America, mass produced brands. So um, do us a favor, support small business, um, give Christopher a chance to present his collections to you. And as you know, this way of buying frames is the future. So um, just want to make you aware of that. Hallelujah, thank you very much. And in fact, the whole thrust of Entrepreneur is really supporting independent brands, independent manufacturers for independent eye care providers. That's opticians, ophthalmologists, optometrists. So we are here for the independents. Uh, first, there's one other thing that um, I wanted to point out too. You know, we say made in Japan or made in Italy. Um, and you talk about the big brands and everything else. And it's an unfortunate way of the world right now that if something says made in Japan on it, I'd say about 50%, only 50% of those frames are actually made in Japan. And not saying there's anything wrong with being made in China or Vietnam or anywhere else, but you know, I get calls all the time. We made frames in China. You want to polish them up and put it and, and print them for us? You know, this is this is if you if you look at the, uh, the actual manufacturing capacity here in Japan, or you talk to the raw material suppliers, you know, if you know how much titanium is being sold, you can tell how many frames are being made. And the number is about 50% of the number of frames that are claimed to be made in Japan. So how is that legal? Uh, how is it legal? It's not legal, but it's done everywhere. I've been in shops in Europe, paint shops in Europe, boxes that say, you know, made in China on them with the brand name. And I've seen the, the 
parts going out of the shop printed with made in France. I mean, happens in France, happens in Italy, happens in Japan, happens all over the world. And it's, do they just buff it off or what do they do? They just, well, they, they, they'll finish it up and then just reprint it. I see. They just, okay. if, you go to, if you go up into Belluna, you go up into the mountains in Italy too. You know, you go by these huge factories and there are no cars in the parking lot. You know, and you say, how are these people making any? You know, so we are, you know, the real deal. We, they're, like I said, there are only 10 of us. All of our materials to the ability that we can are made here in Japan if we, if they, if we can. Um, and uh, everything is done by us here. So it's, uh, that's becoming, you know, unfortunately, it's less and less of that. Uh, I so, see. And the, the Japanese style, the Japanese style is, is what superior to the Italian Matsukeli, Matsukeli style, isn't it? I, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. I will, like, I will uh, be talking a little bit about the different types of acetate. Okay. Um, the okay. difference between an, a Japanese acetate and a, and a, and a Euro European acetate. Um, because there are differences. It's the same material, but there's different less levels of plasticizers and whatnot. So I will, I will get into that a little bit as well. Okay, great. So we're going to get going on the tour here, I guess. I'm going to share a screen a little bit. This is kind of where it starts. And um, starts here in this little room that I'm in. I'm uh, the primary designer. I have two other people that design for me or with me that work for me. One was uh, Tada, is a... Uh, He's an optician, and uh, he was also a designer for a very large uh, boutique woman's brand uh, called Camero. And another, uh, the other woman that a woman that works for me, Hiromi, she was the designer for one of the largest boutique women's brands in Japan, Bese Pese. And um, so, you know, we all kind of approach things a little bit differently. And, and you can tell, you know, we're all sort of, we all work within the same frameworks, but you can you can tell the you know differences between our styles. This is kind of what you know. Design will start starts off in your head, and then uh, you know we'll uh, you know we look at uh, you know different frame shapes, how different PEDs work. We'll we'll change around. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, looking at different types of um, you know different eye shapes. You know, like a western with a with a, a little bit of drop, a little bit of lift. You know, sort of more the Asian almond shape eyes and and then you know it just kind of gives you a feel so it all kind of starts here you know with the you know different plastic parts metal parts and whatnot after that we uh we go downstairs so uh um, you know, while, while he's doing that i was going to say i'm old enough to remember that when something said made in japan it meant it was bad you know people would joke that's made in japan but that's not true anymore. You know, we're um, when we we say made in Japan, that means like, wow, that's good. So, yeah, I remember too. It was, it was rubber alligators and and you know cheap plastic uh, boom boxes. You know, so here's just some 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 acetate we've got here. Um, we source acetate from both uh, you know from Japan and from Europe. Japanese acetates have Japan is very humid. I'm standing here. We're just catching the tail end of a of a typhoon and it's like 90 percent humidity here and so acetate picks up a lot of water and tell us what acetate really is what is it made of or how it's made acetate is pulp and cotton and they then use acetic acid and they will they will they will react it with acetic acid 
and that creates your screwdriver handle, okay? And then in order to soften it, they will put in a plasticizer. And that plasticizer is in there from anywhere between 23 and 26%. The plasticizer in the Europeans use a very high level of plasticizer. It makes the frame softer. It's easier to adjust, but it picks up more water and it is not as stable. The Japanese acetate, since it's so humid here, you know, they would make their acetates with a very much a much lower level of plasticizer. And that just gives you a more stable material. It, you'll find that you need a little more heat to adjust it. Can you pull one of those so sheets this, out this there, sheet looks like. Chris? Oh, yeah, good. okay. So how long is that? Is it about five feet? Uh, this here, well, this here has been cut in half for okay. our storage purposes. The European acetates come in at about uh, five feet long. Uh, the Japanese come in at about two and a half feet long. So, it, it, you know, every acetate, some of them come in at uh, two feet by four feet. Uh, it depends upon the material. But, okay. you know, the nice part about acetate versus a um, injection molded material is you get all of these brilliant colors that, you know, I don't know if you're going to be able to see this, but you get all of these brilliant colors that you just cannot get you know, through injection molding and then painting. And, and when you polish acetate, it's very much like wood. You can kind of burnish it. You get this really deep sheen and shine that you just cannot, you cannot get with, you know, with, uh, with a, an injection molded material. Right. And is you there get a, these really beautiful, interesting. Is there a shelf life to acetate? Like it can only be there for, you know, a year or? Uh, not uh, well. It would not be. I mean, as frames get older, they will dry out. They lose their plasticizer a little bit of a time. If you if you work on a vintage frame from the '60s, you will find that it is you know it is significantly um, harder. You can break it. Whereas you know acetate, freshly made acetate, is much more flexible. Now you actually worry the other way. The European acetates are have so much plasticizer that they move around all over the place. And we go through special drying steps and, and stabilization steps to remove internal stress. I don't think anybody else really does that. Um, and just makes it a little more stable for when, you all, uh, when you're all producing, uh, when you're all, you know, uh, when your customers are using frames. So, um, that's, so that's beautiful. Yeah, this, yeah. you know, you really, really beautiful materials to work with. So, Chris, the frames that look like they're plastic. And we sometimes call them plastic. I mean, a lot of, a lot of uh, opticians still ask that first question, which I really hate. Uh, do you want a plastic or a metal frame? Which right. generally eliminates half the frames in a dispensary. And we, we show about 2,000 frames. So and I think, why did you say that? So they're not really plastic, are they? Well, it, it is. It's, frames. It's, it's, it's a type of plastic. It is, not, it is a bio-based plastic, not a... Not an oil, you know, an oil based. Not an oil based. Okay. Yeah, and it's a natural. It's a natural material. You know, you cannot. I mean, there are great things about you know sports sunglasses and and the TR ninety type of frames. Right. Um, but you can't adjust them properly. Yeah. You know, they are. You you can't. Uh, you know, you they don't fit the customer as well. And I think right. that's one of the reasons why acetate. You know, originally it was cellulose nitrate. Oh, and that combusted. Is yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know people actually here, old school craftsmen that have burns over half their bodies 
because when that stuff lights on fire, you can't put it out. That will burn underwater because it creates its own oxygen as it burns. And you throw water on that and it'll flare back up at you. And I, I know people that have, that have, you know, factories that have burned down from it. I know people that have been injured by it. Uh, and we don't use it. It's beautiful when you can. But, you know, that's what the old um, film cameras and whatnot used to be made of. So those viewing, and especially the consumers, uh, you can see that even though you see a beautiful frame, it went through a lot of hand steps from skilled craftspeople who are individually working on every single frame. So people are like, how could that be so expensive? And I mean, I can just get a frame for seven bucks anywhere, you know, and there are some big manufacturers I'm not going to help support them. That in that just mold these frames, right? They injection mold them. They put and um, and so that's not comparable at all to something that's gone through all these hand hand steps. So Chris, maybe you can comment on that a little bit. What makes a difference yeah, between a six dollar frame to the consumer, which is probably fifty cents of of material and workmanship in it? Sure. Well, you know, the, I mean, they crank them out. You know, they, they don't most for the most part. They won't even polish by hand. If you no. go together, I've seen shops in China where they'll polish, they'll put five or six frames in their hands, run it underneath one wheel for like a 30 seconds, and that's it. And, and you can tell the difference. You can tell there's a deep, deep shine. And when you properly polish a frame, it actually hardens the surface. It becomes more scratch resistant as because you're burnishing that and you're hardening and, and you actually end up hardening the surface at the same time. So there's, you know, the, the amount of time that is spent at this wheel, at these wheels is, and, and you can shape on the wheel as well. So, you know, for difficult shapes, we'll do different types of chamfers. And it's a part of the, it's a part of the, uh, uh, it's, it's truly a, a skill and, and it's a dying skill. So we, you know, we, all of our people know how to polish. I, I, have a, I have a belief that your people should be able to do everything in the shop and it makes your life more interesting. You know, everybody doesn't just sit in front of a wheel for the rest of their life you know, one day they'll be doing this and they follow their frames, they follow the parts through the shop. And, um, you know, if you make a mistake now, you fix it later. And so it teaches everybody to be a little bit more careful and it makes your work a lot more interesting. So Erwin says, uh, how long does the process of acetate production take from start to the sheets? Uh, take from start to the sheets and are mm -hmm. they limited? I'm sorry, to the, to the sheets? Yeah, I'm not sure what that means. Production of uh, the process of acetate production take from, from start to the sheets. I guess he's thinking about how long does it take to make a sheet of acetate? Sheet of acetate. Um, that's a good question. You know, I've been in through um, manufacturing facilities. They don't show you a lot sometimes. Um, you know, the, there's a, the drying step is the longest step. You know, they'll typically hold it for, um, for you know, a few weeks to a few right. months before, um, before releasing it. The actual production itself, you know, the, the, anything, like anything with production, your setup time, it depends upon how many you make. You know, the amount of time it takes to set up a machine um, versus amount of time for each sheet is probably not that high, but you've got to pull out all of your different, you know, pigments, you've got to pull right. out all of your materials, they typically will buy pellets. You know, the, the acetate manufacturers, Matsukeli and Takidon and all these acetate manufacturers will buy pellets. They buy these huge bags of pellets 
And so the plastic itself is made by other companies. Um, and then, you know, they will then combine that, heat that, put, you know, and, and, and Mazzucchelli does all sorts of crazy stuff to their materials too. But, um, and then, you know, run that through rollers. The actual time per sheet is probably not so high, but when you figure out, you know, pulling out the materials and mixing up the pigments and, the, and everything else, it, it, uh, you know, it, is, it is an expensive piece of plastic. It's not like buying, it's not like buying acrylic. I used to work for the largest acrylic maker in the world. And, you know, acrylics are, you know, it's, 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 we used to sell our chemistry in tanker cars. Um, you know, your acetate will be 10 times more expensive than something like that. All right, here you go. We're going to do a short ad. Um, I'm going to do the quick version here because else I'm going to get feedback. Um, Dr. Brill, can you see my Word doc? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, so as you know, we, we have partners with Entrepreneur. We partner with pretty much new tech startups. That's who we believe in. We believe in software and efficiencies. Um, so number one, if you're taking some type of financing, giving financing tools to patients, uh, there's a new player to the game. They're called Sunbit. They actually have payment plans. It's a soft, they do a soft credit pool, not a hard pool. So your patients will never have their credit dinged. And the benefit of Sunbit is they accept even low credit scores. Uh, about 90% of people are, are approved. So you're never going to look stupid when you present uh, Sunbit. They have such a cool software. It's all tablet-based. They'll actually ship you a tablet, and you simply scan the patient's driver's license or state ID, actually, and it will pull all the information from their card, and you get an instant credit decision within 30 seconds. This has increased our cash flow so much in just this month in the three days. Uh, they have a really cool feature. It's a pre-qualification feature. Uh, what we do at uh, Brilli Center, my dad's practice, is we send out a mass email and text messages to all of our patients coming in uh, that week, send them a pre-qualification link, um, and they come in, and we know that they're going to be a dedicated spender because they got qualified for money. Giving payments is not just for poor people. It's for everybody. Uh, we even know wealthy people love saving and love using payments. We use it on shoes, furniture. Payments over time. Payments over time. 90 days, six, 90 days, six months, and 12 months payment plan. So text this number, get a live demo, and you'll thank me later. Uh, lots of other features. This is not like that other person out in the industry uh, who offers financing. This is way different. So um, the next thing is all of our patients are asking to buy glasses online. How do I know? Because they're doing it, and they're doing it behind our backs. And they're going online, buying Zenny, buying other crap when they should be buying our stuff. Uh, I'm actually selling Christopher's frames on my website, Sayo and Ethnicity. You can go to, if you want to go to my website, I'll type it here. You can see we're the real deal, shop.berlite.com. We're actually selling about, I don't know, 15 brands, and um, we're adding more every week. So you can even use your vision plans online, ship the frames to the patient. It's a whole suite of software built for optometrists and independent opticians. So do yourself a favor, buy into the online model, and um, you'll be very happy you did that. So, And it's just another way. It's not to supplant what you're doing in the office. It's just another way to uh, another channel that patients often want. They want to preview frames, or maybe they don't have time. You know, they tell you, oh, I don't have time today. Uh, 
So essentially, when the patient leaves the office, they get a nice little friendly email and say, hey, shop online. And you got it's not just online, but it's it's in office. So it's it's both. Yeah, um, sometimes people, if they go to your website, um, you know, bobseyecare.com, and that you're not displaying your individual SKUs you sell, they're going to assume, you know, it's a mystery of what you sell. So it's really important, even if you don't make one single sale in a year, at least you've captured people saying, we sell beautiful Japanese eyewear. So um, we'll get back to the webinar here. Brian wants to know, uh, is Tachyron the best Japanese acetate? Okay. Now, there's, you know, when you, when you say Japanese acetate, the only acetate that is truly made in Japan right now is Takiron. There's another company called Dicel. Dicel um, used to make in Japan. They switched over to China. Dicel has a joint venture with Matsukeli in China. It's the same factory that makes Chinese Matsukeli makes Dicel. Dicel is still considered a Japanese acetate um, in that it has that lower plasticizer level. It's harder. Also, the Japanese acetates, I mean, we've got, I've got you know, a couple of samples here. I've got buckets of these. You know, the Japanese acetates, they tend to do more muted colors. They do the deeper, richer colors really well, um, the more subtle colors. And then, you know, you've got your, your Matsukeli, and they do the, the big, bright sort of Matsukeli and Lice is the other Italian acetate manufacturer. And they do the, the brighter colors a little bit better. Um, so it's a difficult question, you know, what is the best? You know, I like Takiron a lot. They're, they're probably the cleanest material. Um, they, uh, they do a really, you know, great job of quality control. They have some good, you know, some good colors. The problem with the Japanese acetates is the people that design the colors are engineers. You know, you meet the Japanese, the Japanese acetate companies and it's like, oh, here's our engineer and these are our new colors for the year. Whereas, you know, I meet with Lais, you know, once or twice a year. And this beautiful woman in, 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 in fashion, you know, um, fashion consultant walks up and she has looked at the colors for the year and what's, what's the Pantone and this and that. And, and so they, they do a much better job with what's in now. Um, but I would agree. I like Takiron a lot. I mean, that's, if, if we have a choice, you know, we use Takiron. Uh, okay. We use the Italians only for the more colorful. Um, this comes from uh, Barry Santini, master optician in uh, Long Island. Um, so with beta titanium core temples, he wants to know that all, does all of his care and adjusting simply undo itself? He said it makes no sense. A very good. Well, that's a very good question. Actually, I'm not surprised to get that. You can tell somebody who knows what they're talking about when they ask you a question like that. Because if you adjust it the same way as you adjust a regular temple you're correct when you adjust this frame this is this is a petite that we make nice small petite frame super thin like i said beta titanium when you adjust this with a normal material you would heat it up bend it and hold it until it cold and there you are and you are correct if you let it go there it will just return back to where it was when you adjust this, you adjust it just like you adjust a regular beta titanium frame where you heat it up, you bend it, you overbend it, and it takes a little bit to get used to, but you overbend it, you let it, while it's still warm, come back to where it wants to be. And then set it. 
And so, you know, we do not go through all of the heat treatment that you would go through with a typical beta titanium. It's a little bit softer than a typical beta titanium. You would normally go through some extra heat treatment and, and work treatment to it um, to make it a little more adjustable. But if you bend it to where you, you know, if you've been the past where you want it and let it relax back to where it naturally sits, then it does not move. Okay, cool. So we're going to do one more quick question, keep it super brief. And then I do want you to talk about some of your frame lines. And I promise we'll answer every question. Christopher is not going anywhere. Um, Joe Zui, he owns Inavision, uh, manufacturer of chemistry clips. Hey, Joe, send us some, uh, a new display, please. We need one. Uh, what type of design software do you use? And does it interface with the CNC machine? Okay. Um, you know, there's, honestly, we use one of the, one of the draws, the designs for me, she does by hand. She is an artist. I cannot draw for my life, you know. Um, the gentleman that designs for me, he uses Adobe Illustrator. I personally do everything on CAD. I like CAD because it's much more accurate. I use Rhinoceros. It's, it's easy. What is to it? Use. It's called Rhinoceros. It's a uh, Rhinoceros. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a CAD three-dimensional 3D CAD um, that's actually used, um, you know, for modeling a lot. And the, it, as far as interfacing with the machine, you know, you will have a, a CAD that you do the drawing on. There is no CAD software that interfaces directly with any machine. You then have a CAM uh, software that is what interfaces with your machine. I use a, a, a CAM software that actually plugs directly into the Rhinoceros and you can write your own post-processor. So every machine has, needs a different language. You can go in with the software I use, you know, typically if you use like MasterCAM, that's a $30,000 piece of software and it costs another five grand to write the language, you know, to get it to speak the right language to your machine. With the, with the, uh, the CAM that we use, uh, you can actually write your own uh, post-processor to interface that with your cat with your with your with your cnc okay cool tell us before like everyone gets antsy to go eat like pizza how do you plan to deal with your your accounts are you going to ship them the frames are you going to fly over how are you going to service people and introduce them right well typically i go over to the u.s twice a year i spend two months in the road in the spring two months in the fall um, in the u.s visiting all of our customers and I love doing that. I love seeing everybody. I learn a lot about it. Unfortunately, I cannot go to the United States now. Actually, I can go. I can't come back. Um, oh. But so now we are, we are taking care of everybody virtually. And what we do is, you know, we will do a Zoom meeting. We go everything on the website, you know, show frames and whatnot. And, you know, I have a promise with all of our customers that if I ship them something and they get it and they're like, the color is a little bit different than I thought it was going to be or something like that. I give them a FedEx number and they ship it back to me. And it's, you know, so there's no risk of buying something. I, I realize that it's better to touch it. I would much prefer to be there as well. Um, unfortunately, you know, the way of the world right now is it's not gonna happen, I think for the next at least six months, um, maybe in the spring, we shall see. But, okay. uh, you know, we, I don't ask anybody to take any risk on, 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 you know, buying something and saying, oh, it's not quite exactly, you know, it doesn't fit the way I thought it would. Yeah. So what, what Christopher is, if you want to pull up your website, and I'm going to talk a little. Um, what Christopher does is if you, if you love this collection, you love this custom manufacturing process, you will prepay for the frames on your credit card and he'll ship them to you. 
and you'll have a, uh, what we call a risk reversal. If you don't like them, just send them back, but you will love them. And they're beautiful frames. Even makes a frame that fits dog. Oh yeah, where's that? Uh, we'll, we'll pull it up on your computer we can see it, but yeah. Um, where's Rock? Let me see. I would say what's more, now you know the backstory, you know the story of the manufacturer, and I think every frame brand, you, you need to know the, the story of it. So uh, now you can say, you know, Chris personally, and you've seen how they manufactured. It's way different and way more quality. So, And um, you can actually put, um, if the frame does not come with a Asian or African fitting pad, he'll actually put it on for you. Just special request that. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Um, we do custom fits as well. Um, I mean, I have an optician that works for me. He's fit ten thousand people, and wow. I'm a litter. He was in a busy shop in Tokyo for fifteen years. They put on all their nose pads. If you have a customer that's difficult to fit, take a picture with the, where the frame sits naturally, and then holding where they want it, you know, from front and quarter. Send them to us, and we'll put it on the appropriate pad. It's a ten dollar fee or eight to twelve dollar fee, depending okay. on the pad. So, um, Christopher, you have 11 people that want to, that want to talk to you. So we'll make sure you get their information. Uh, oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. More people. One person thinks you're crazy and you should go back to chemical engineering. So uh, sometimes I think the same thing, but that's usually at the end of the month when I'm paying my bills. Um, and quickly plug yourself about, you do make custom frame lines. Uh, give us a 20 second spiel about that. Yeah, we do. Um, we do custom work as well. Uh, we do not do, you know, private label where we just have, we have a frame and we, um, we, uh, you know, we'll print your name on it. What we do is we'll design a frame for you and we make anywhere between, you know, we'll make as low as a dozen, but it gets really expensive. Uh, for a typical shop, you'd be talking about more like, you know, three to five dozen um, per model, multiple colors inside and up to, we'll do up to a hundred frames. I do not do, you know, most, if you go to most manufacturers, they want three, 300 to, five, to 1,000 frames as a minimum order. Um, I don't have the people to do it. Lead times get long. I don't want to deal with it. We are more expensive, but you know, you've got a quarter of the buy-in or less. Um, so we will do custom work. That frame never gets made for anybody else. It's yours. And um, you know, I love doing work like that, too. It's a small part of our business, but... Um, it's a small part of our business, but you know, it is a, it's something I learned a lot from. We have some really fun, great customers. All right, you got the you got it. So pull up your screen now. Okay. Well, you know, here is the dog frame. Oh, the uh, dog frame, yeah. Yeah. And we have one of those, don't we, Perry? We do. I think you do. You know, sell more of these than you would think. Um, so you you know, your your bridge fit here, hand to his opposite. It's actually fit to the dog appropriately. And it will even fold. So uh, let's see. Here we go. This is going to be huge. You know, this is our puppy rock. Oh, cute. <laughs> so, so we have, uh, we have, uh, we we send these all over the world, actually. So this is our uh, this is our brand Seo here. I think we've got here's another. Here's a friend in Barcelona. She's beautiful. Yeah, this is our brand Seo. Uh, we've been selling this into the this brand's ten years old. We've we keep about. Uh, about 80 models in the collection, you know, four colors and uh, four colors, three to six colors. Typically, we put out 10 models a season. It's a neoclassic entryway into a funky frame. You've got sort of the Japanese warmth with a little more European coloring to it. 
you know, that's uh, it goes from everywhere from all plastic frames through to you know combination frames like you're looking at here. So I'll just I, I mean I'll just pull out some frames here to show to you. It might have been better, might be better on the uh, so besides dog frames, you know, all acetate, you know, we'll, and we'll do facet cuts and and whatnot. Pictures don't, this bad video doesn't do it justice, everybody, so. You know, some uh, sort of old school, you know, you're looking at a frame here, it's, it's big, a lot of presence, and it's three millimeters thick. And so it's it's a really, you know, it's a heavy frame with a lot of presence. This actually has an Asian bridge on it, so it's going to sit high on it. But it's a heavy frame with a lot of presence, but it's actually super thin and light and comfortable. So, you know, acetate frames like that and then the beta titanium temples which we just had the, the discussion on one other thing about adjusting those beta titanium temples you would not want to try to widen by bending here you would widen by taking a little bit of off some sandpaper or something here to, to bring the frame out and then to bring it back but again you know super comfortable super flexible kind of old school this would be in the lighting here is terrible but sort of old school american american feel to it let me ask you let me ask a question so whenever i see a warby parker frame come in mm -hmm. a xylo one the front mm -hmm. is totally straight the temples are straight nothing's been adjusted and mm -hmm. i'm not sure they can adjust them so is that a property of the xyle or is that just a cheap manufacturing technique that's a good question i mean you know it's it's partly the property of the xyle uh, you know, certain, you know, very cheap xyle is very soft. And depending upon how you process, if you process at really high speeds, it tends to, you know, when you, when you bend it, you know, you'll get some internal stress. And then it does exactly what Barry was saying. It goes back to where it was. And so, it, you know, it wants to go back to a flat frame. Part of it is the way they cut their lenses and the type of lenses that they use. And so, and they probably didn't bother adjusting when they went to when they gave them to the patient because you know, how much time can you spend on somebody for? Right. Um, so it is. It is. A, it is a. I think it's a, a combination of all of them. Honestly. Okay. What's I want to do is some more questions. Let's try to keep them rapid fire because we have fifteen to go through. Uh, mm -hmm. What's our average frame price? Okay. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll. You know, for now, just being online, I, I'm happy to get into details of. Uh, I thought you weren't going to do that, Barry. Yeah. But um, what uh, our average frame, uh, you know, retail prices. Yeah. Uh, the sale collection is from three seventy five to four seventy five, and for the, uh, we do have a couple that get a little more expensive. I'll show you those here, um, and then for the uh, ethnicity collection is three hundred to four hundred. Okay. Right. So pretty, pretty average. Nothing out of the ordinary. Um, so Japanese frames, I would I would say average to the ethnicity line being low. Yeah. Um, Tom Tio, do you, do you use Japanese hinges? Of course, Tom. How are you doing, Tom? Hope you're well. Yes, we do. I have all of our hinges are specially made for us. Um, you know, the way they make a hinge, and I don't have one here to show you, but if you, if you looked at the hinge, um, you can't see me, so. The way they make a hinge is if you look at the profile of a hinge, they make a profiled wire. That is a long extruded wire that is the shape of the, the, the hinge. It's you know, a couple of meters long. And then they chop them up into little pieces and they go through and they tap them and everything else. 
Um, we design them to put pins where we want to put the pins to have the, you know, the, how big the foot is, how big the hinge plate is. And we have them all specially made for us. I have made hinges myself, quite honestly, at our scale, it just doesn't make sense. You have to buy, you know, 100, 200 kilograms of profile wire. And, you know, we just don't make that many frames. How does that differ from a German hinge? German hinges, actually, you know, it's funny. Everybody says German hinges. Um, hinges are not, in Germany right now, they do not make, you know, even OBE, which is the biggest uh, German hinge maker, um, the front hinges are all made in China. And they only make the spring part of the hinge on the temple in Germany now. In Italy, there's only one true Italian spring hinge maker. It's the only spring hinge we actually use on a few of our frames. Uh, it's called Ideal. You know, the, the, the basic process is the same. Japanese do not make spring hinges. They don't like spring hinges. I think part of it is people have very wide heads. They tend to wear them sprung all of the time. And eventually you have reliability issues um, because you're always wearing them, you know, sprung out off the side of the head. Um, so, you know, German, you know, it's not to say there's anything wrong with the German hinges. They, they do an excellent job of quality control. But the Japanese, you know, when the, the Japanese hinges, the hinge maker that we use actually does work for the medical industry as well. They make artificial hips, which I have two of. I like titanium so much. I <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, they do all sorts of super, super high, you know, uh, very detailed work. Okay. I want to get, I'm going to, a few people actually want to talk to you. So I'm going to see if they're live and can ask a question. Um, someone wants to know what St Stefano Perlus, what chemical is used to attach the nose pads to the front? Okay, you can use over there in the if you're in the United States, you can use acetone. Um, that's what most people in the United States use. We use it's a it's a um, acetylamid. It's uh, they sell it over here. I don't know that it's sold in the U.S. You might have to buy it by the drum. Uh, it's a little easier to work with, but acetone will work just fine. Okay, uh, Ansel, are you you want to try again? Um. Sunglass collection. Do you have carry sunglass or all of yours are Everything we do is, is available both in a sun and an ophthalmic. Um, some of our glasses, you know, sort of lean more towards the sun, but we do not have a specific sun line. Um, but we will put sun lenses in anything. Okay. Uh, Mice Bossum wants to know, do you collaborate with private brands? Are you in Fukai or Tokyo? Uh, we are in Niigata. We are about a four-hour drive, a two-hour bullet train ride from Tokyo. We're actually co closer than Fukui. It's easier to get to us. Uh, so you can do a day trip from Tokyo. Um, come out. There's a bullet train runs right here. It's exactly two hours, and we're about 20 minutes away. And, yes, we do work for brands. Um, typically, you know, we'll do – we were talking about the, the um, OEM work that we do. We will do anywhere from, like I said, a dozen to 100 frames per model. Our prices go down as volumes go up. At 100 frames, my price doesn't go down anymore because I don't have the people in the bandwidth to support it. Um, but a lot of brands use us for getting started. You know, but what kills brands and what killed what was killing me, which is why I got into doing this, is you go and sink all your money into your first collection. You go see your you go see customers. Everyone says, "Oh, that's really nice. Come back and see me in the spring." You go back in the spring. They say, oh, that's really nice. Come back and see me in the fall. You need something new every season to bring them. But you don't start selling the volume to get through these, you know, the first minimum orders 
for three, four seasons. By your third season, you're stringing yourself up because you don't have any cash left over. It's all sitting on your shelf. And so a lot of brands, what they'll do is they'll start with us. You know, they'll make 100, 100 frames. You don't make the margins, but you can do two or three models instead of one. And that just allows you to sort of get going. And then I am happy to introduce other manufacturers that'll do the volume for you. I, I, you know, we do what we do and there's nobody that competes with us because there's nobody else that does that kind of volume, uh, those volumes. And then what, if you ever get bigger than, and you need somebody with, that does more volume for you, I'm, I'm happy to work with you to help, you know, introduce you. And, and I, we give out your, the drawings are yours um, and the designs are yours. So. Wow. That's nice. Um, all right. Um, Bob Fessmeyer of Opticians on Facebook, good moderator there, wants to know, so what makes the actual process different in Japan versus China or Europe? Nothing special machine-wise is there. Yeah, absolutely right. In actuality, and this, this goes for all industries, the equipment set in China is typically better than in Japan. I mean, I used to work in the electronics industries. I would go in and out of, you know, circuit board shops, uh, all the time and all brake controllers are made in japan because it's a very important piece of equipment you look at the equipment it looks i mean it looks like an old hag i mean it's they're all like what you were looking at here they're old you know they're, they're kind of pieced together it's the way you run the equipment it's your people the people is the difference it's the attention to detail it's the care that goes into it um, and that's something that I feel very strongly about too. Is you know you, you go into, and and you're and you know if you look at piecework, you're ordering somebody something, you know wherever if it's Japan or China, you you order it to a company, they piecework it out to somebody else. There's some craftsman that's four or five you know um, steps back, that says make a hundred of these, and they just go through. They they don't know what the final product is going to look like. They don't really care. It, because it's they they just make their hundred little pieces and send it out and then and they're done with it. Whereas you know what I've been trying to do is get our craftspeople closer to the end user, closer to our customers. And so the people that you see here, you know, when 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 we get a you know thanks on a Facebook post or whatever, you know my people see that they they actually see where their product, what they're doing goes, and it just it, it's it's you know it, it engages them. And I, I, I really believe the equipment set in China is far and away better. Um, it's the way you run your equipment. It's the way they maintain your equipment. It's the little tiny things that you do. You know, I used to work with a circuit board shop that once a month, he would, the plant manager would run the most difficult part, whether they had to do it or not, just to keep people on their toes. You know, just to keep people, you know, you know, interested in, 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 uh, and focused on what they're doing. And so it's really more about the people than the equipment. The equipment, you can buy equipment. You can't buy people. Yeah. While we're kind of finishing up some questions here, Chris, would you mind just verbalizing your phone number to me, your American phone number people can call you on? Sure. It's 352-282-3277. Uh, and that rings to me here in Japan. It accepts text as well. And I'm usually up and the phone is on after 3.30 in the afternoon Eastern Standard Time. If not, you can leave me a message and I will get back to you. All right. I'm going to put Chris's um, email and phone number. I'll share with everybody here while we answer a few more questions. Please reach out to him. Is that correct? Did I get that right there? 
Yes, that is correct. Okay. All right. Um, Kevin Count wants to know, do you use the chips to press into new sheets? Um, I have done it. And no, <laughs> honestly, I mean, you can, you know, um, the problem is stability, uniformity. I mean, how do you control the amount of plasticizer in there? Uh, I just, you know, I've tried to do it. It's very unstable and it, it can get very messy. And honestly, I just, we don't, you know, to, to do that at any sort of volume, you need some specialized equipment as well. And so we do not, we do not do that. Okay. All right. What about children's frames? Uh, he wants to know about that. Yeah, we do not do children's frames. Um, I would love to do children's frames. A child's frame costs as much as an adult's frame, and everybody thinks it should be cheaper. Yeah. And, you know, it's just not, we haven't gotten into that. How about petite frames? Petite frames we do do. You know, we, we just put out a couple of petite frames. Um, you know, this frame here, two sizes, you know, soup, you know two sizes, two um, multiple colors. We have other ones as well that are, you know, super small. I mean, this frame on me, I have a relatively small head. And, you know, this frame on me, you, you can see. How about big boy frames? How about the guys with the 72 PDs? And I had a gentleman, I had a gentleman today like that, and he had a, his head as big as mine. So uh, they fill up the whole slit lamp. I mean, <laughs> they can't wear a hat because it looks like a toy on them. Right. And when you put your biggest uh, XXL frame on, they're like, uh, I thought you had big frames. So, right. or we, we can order those. We, we can order a bigger frame. Um, we do have a couple. And also, okay. you know, with our ethnicity line, which we haven't start, started talking about, um, and, and this is something we do with the Asian line as well, piece of advice for anybody who sells Asian fit frames. When you, fit your, when you put your frames out on the floor, take your temples and bend them in, doing this without heat here, but Bend them in hard, cranked in this way, okay? A little harder than you would normally want to wear. So when somebody puts it on, it's going to grab really tight back, okay? It's going to keep it from sliding down their face the first time they put it on. Okay. You can adjust it later. Somebody puts it on, this is what all my Japanese customers do. If somebody puts a frame on and slides down their face, they're not going to buy it. That's very smart. Yeah, I like that. So yeah. you, so you I'll have to... You fit I'll have to adjust all our, our ethnicity and sale frames tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, you know, uh, so you've got the rounded, you've got the, for the more rounded Asian head here, okay? And people, you know, they come in a little bit tighter back here, too. Yeah. You know, it tends to, to drop off a little bit more. Whereas with your African, fr African frame, we keep the width, but if you look at the length, the difference in the length of the temples. Wow. Wow. You know, this is a 152 yeah. millimeter temple that you can actually yeah. pull off the temple tip and cut off, cut off a half an inch and then you can put it back on. Yes. Better to be too long and cut it off and make it shorter than to have it to be too short and have nothing you can do with it. Now, what do you do for the patients that have low ears? Low ears. Low you see ears. people on TV, their temples are straight back touching the top of their ears. And yeah. I'm thinking, I've taken photos of people on TV and I'm thinking like, that person's got the wrong frame on, but. Um, that's, you know, the, the hardest part is your panto there. You know what I mean? I mean, most frames and your panto is going to change depending upon yeah. you know, the angle of your hinge 
and how high that hinge is up on the frame. Right. If that makes sense, right? I mean, if, you're, if your hinge is way up high on the frame and they have low ears, you know, essentially the frame is sitting retrospectively um, yeah. to the face. You don't have like a Sophia Loren uh, low temple or old Dita low temple frame for that would look decent on people with low ears. Well, we do have frames that, you know, we will put, you know, we keep the temples down a little bit longer. Okay. But, uh, you know, basically, I mean, that's, you, you're really, you know, with a frame like this, um, we have, I don't know if you can see this here, but it was like a little notch. Oh, yes. You see that little notch? If you get on both sides of that with a pair of pliers and you twist, you actually get a lot of panto because okay. you're adjusting it way up front of the frame. So a small amount of twist here will give you a right. really, really big That's difference good. in your panto. So our, our metals are, are made so that you can adjust, do That's a significant good. adjustment to the panto without having to adjust the hinge. Right, um, yeah, we don't want to lose that hinge in there. Too many people adjust frames without any tools. Next yep. thing you know, that hinge is coming out of there. Exactly, we also do another type of way to do adjust panto here. Can you see the end of this um, temple? See yes. Round? Right? And it fits into the rounds. Uh, I see, yes. Okay, so when you adjust by bending the barrel of the hinge, you always get, you know, you don't get a gap. That, that barrel adjusts. Like I it. see, and got it. Um, so, you know, we try to make the frames as adjustable as possible for okay. those people. But, you know, the people with really low ears, you, like you said, you try to pick a frame with the drop temple. Okay. Anyways. One minute to talk about ethnicity a little bit. And the, yeah, the, go ahead. Just, yeah. just one quick minute. Sure. Um, yeah, let's. Let's, you know, let's try to finish up in the next five minutes or so. Yeah. Um, ethnicity, you know, came out as, I mean, I travel all over the U.S. Everybody wants Asian fit frames. Our SEO collection, you know, we do both Asian and Western fit on that. And I was thinking about doing a, an Asian one that was more specifically designed like we just showed you. Right. And I was at a customer in, in um, it was uh, Philadelphia. And I walked in and the big black guy is the, is the optician. And he said, what do you have for me? And you were talking about big frames? And I said, nothing. I had <laughs> frames with me, you know, and I had nothing for them. And, and, you know, living here in Japan, I mean, I am, I know three foreigners in the prefecture that I live in. You know, I can go months without seeing another Westerner. I go to a store, nothing fits. And, to, but to be, but to be here and have that happen, that's fine. In the United States, why is it that we are so you know, um, European centric in right. our design when the majority, when half of our population, that's not what, you know, that's not what the population is. And so people are kind of squeezing themselves to fit yeah. their mold and, you know, a color coloring on frames. I mean, when we do, you know, when we look at coloring for the ethnicity Africa line, you know, we use foundations from a beautiful caramel to a, to a, I see, wood, nice. you know, and, and to see how the colors work, because the colors that look good on me are not going to look good on, a, on, a, on an African, somebody from African descent, and it's not going to look for somebody good on somebody from Southeast Asia. And so, I mean, coloring is different, and it's, the, the differences are so minor, but they're important. Yeah. And so, you know, to me, walking around the U.S. selling frames, I'm saying to myself, you know, this is just, it, to me, it's inclusivity. You know, it's being serviced. And, and so that's kind of where we came at it. Um, and, you know, with the African collection, I know I don't know what the African, you know, population in the United States want, 
And that's why we have a couple of uh, stylists in the U.S., Dr. Ramsey um, and Anissa. Um, I was saying Dr. Ramsey would be happy to hear all this, but um, so because <laughs> yeah, we've, um, we've had him on our pod, podcast. And I think Perry's been on his. So uh, yeah, and 13% of the American population don't have frames that fit well. Right, exactly. And that's, you know, that's, and, and I was talking to Adam and he's like, man, you just don't know. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't. And so that's how we started working together. And he's styling, you know, he and uh, Anissa are styling the frames. They kind of give us a direction, sizes, colors, and whatnot. And then, um, and then you know, we manufacture and, and, and we sell. And so, you know, we, we work together. So to me, you know, that's kind of what the ethnicity line is. It's, it's, inclus- it's inclusion. We're going to continue to, to expand out and do different ethnicities. There are, you know, like the Asian, we're talking about head shape, but also people have very high prescriptions. You know, the African um, population tend to have, you know, actually oilier skin, which means that frames tend to slide down a little bit differently. You need different angles on the nose bridges. They're very subtle differences, but that's the difference between, you know, a frame that fits and looks really good and one that does not. Anyway, that, that was just wanted to, uh, and I'm happy to talk about that more, but I think everybody's been on here for a long time and, uh, you know, we can get to that if uh, anybody has any interest. I'm happy to talk to them. What does a minimum order look like to you? Just so people uh, know, you know, is it 100 pieces? Or is it three pieces? I've had 100 piece orders. Not many. <laughs> um, honestly, you know, it, with the sale line, I mean, it's a pretty deep line. We ask there's a presence in, your, in, in the practice in the store. Um, and that's different for every store. I mean, someplace, you know, you guys have a lot of frames, man. You know, to put three frames in the corner, you'd never find us. Um, I'd say with Sayo, we average it, you know, thir- three dozen, but I've done as low as 15. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to work with people. I'd rather have a smaller opening order and then, you know, build and have a long relationship than stuff, you know, 70 frames down somebody's throat and go back six months later and have them say, no, I still got one. So um, we're pretty flexible on that. You know, I would I would say if you think about, uh, for the Sayo collection, a couple of dozen to a couple of few dozen um, would be a, a great place to start. Ethnicity, you know, we don't have as many models yet, um, and it can be much more compact. Um, and depends, you know, what what you need, where you live, where you are, and what your your uh, demographic. That's good. I'm sure everybody appreciates that flexibility that you have, because we don't like to have somebody says we need a 48 piece open order. Uh, and then you never see anybody again. And, right. uh, you know, that's, that's just bad. That's just bad. I run, so. I run a business. I don't like anybody telling me what to do. That's why I run my own business. Although you find yeah. that there'll be called customers that do, but that's why I run a business. I don't want somebody coming in and telling me what to do. You know, if my tool supplier comes in and says, Oh no, you got to buy 10 pieces of that off for you. I'm like, Hey, go away. I'll find somebody else. You know? And yeah. We don't want, we don't want quotas. Uh, as, as Cartier has changed, you know, they had quotas and uh, who likes that? You know what I mean? Right. Just don't want to have that. Right. No, no, we don't have quotas or anything like that. We're, we're very flexible. Well, anyway, you want to get in touch on these easy going. What I learned is I don't need a sales rep always. As long as I know, like you answer the phone, respond to my email. That's that's all I need. Uh, if you have one, great. So um, there is one person out there. They want to know, do you have sales agents? Are you looking for sales agents? Um, you know, I was, I've been back and forth on that. I have had, uh, some sales reps in the past. It's a, it's a tough job. I know. I mean, I know what it's like. I'm on the road, you know, four months a year in the United States. I know what it's like. And, um, honestly, 
I have been leaning towards hiring somebody here and having them service the US from here. I think with the ethnicity line, it's a much broader line. And so I would be interested. But for the SEO line, I think right now it's, it's a little more boutique-y and it's not going to be quite as broad. Um, I'm planning on servicing that from here, but I am open to all. I do have a company in the United States that handles our payments. It's my company. It's an LLC in the US, just handles payments. No, there's no overseas wiring and whatnot, but I do not have physical presence in the United States. So um, I would be open to considering a 1099 rep, um, but you know, right now I'm not actively searching. Okay. And do you... You worldwide. Will you sell on any uh, continent? I'm sorry. You sell worldwide outside of the United States. Will you sell to someone in Africa, uh, in, oh, sure. in Australia? Absolutely, absolutely. Right. I mean, we have custom, some customers in New York, not as many, uh, not nearly as many, um, because I don't spend much time with them. But, um, absolutely. You know, we uh, our our products. You know, we we keep traceability in all our, our materials, so they're CE. Um, there's no issues there. We are FDA registered to ship to the United States. There are no issues there. Okay. Do you need any special tools for your frames? No, no special tools at all. I mean, we, you know, you see your standard pliers and screwdrivers and this and that and other thing. That's, that's it. Okay. Um, okay. We're going to conclude this. This is our first two hour live stream. We generally do about an hour. So congratulations, Christopher. Uh, we've kept 40 people on out of, uh, I think, the 65, 70 we had on originally. This was our most popular one in a while. We actually had about 200 registrations in case anybody's wondering. So uh, we'll do more of this uh, fun stuff. Maybe we'll have a round two. Maybe we'll do a master optician workshop or something. So I, th I think this is interesting because I always uh, think that a lot of the professions are siloed, okay, as an optometrist, uh, I have no idea what happens in into a lab except our own lab, but and I have been to another uh, manufacturer going through their frame frame manufacturing process. But a lot of times we have no idea what's going on in a whole other aspect, important aspect of the profession. And and probably you don't know what we do in the exam room or dry eye workups and all that. So I think it's always nice when we could really collaborate and get appreciation for all that's involved in it. And I think that should help in the sales process because, you know, for that person that flings that frame, you know, here's the, I don't want this one, you know what, and, and grabs a $3,000 worth of frames in one fist. And like, oh, please don't do that. You know, there was a lot of effort to get that frame to be nice and polished. Um, so, so if we can impart that to the consumers, that's, that's all, all the better. And we can have an appreciation for what else everybody does. So what's your website? Our websites are uh, www.sayo.com, that is S-A-Y hyphen O-H dot com, and ethnicityeyewear.com. You don't sell direct to consumers, do you? No, we do not. Okay, so you don't have, you're not off on Amazon, you're not trying to compete with us. Okay, that's good. No. no. Um, eventually... Do you have a referral? Let me ask you this. Do you have a... Uh, uh, a a network of like a, I would say a dealer network for lack of a better term. Well, you know, we um, are re work re revamping our website. Eventually all of our dealers are going to be up there. And it's okay. I think that is smart. Somebody might see a frame somewhere and say, wow, or they see someone on an airplane say, where'd you get that frame? And uh, it's actually, sometimes it's, you know, they say, did you get that at Brill's? 
So that's kind of fun. But, but you know, sometimes you see some, and I've asked people, people ask me like, where'd you get those shoes? And right on the, uh, right on the walkway, the guy's ordering the shoes from Allen Edmonds or something, you know, but I think that they should know that there are places they can get it. And, uh, and that would help. Uh, I think any of your d- dealers would be happy to, you know, be on that list. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And it's just, it's unfortunate. It's been a bandwidth problem with, with me and in, in, in our website, but um, we also, when we get requests from, you know, questions from customers, emails and whatnot, we refer them to our customers. In the that's area. good. Very yeah, we good. Don't, we don't sell direct. That's not part of my. You know, that's good. We appreciate that. With that being said, um, we'll conclude. If you're listening to this, I hope you join our Facebook group. Um, email me, text me, text Christopher, ask Dr. Bro questions. This has been fun. That's been great. Thank you so much. This brings us to the end of another episode of Entrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes. Go ahead and click over to our website, entrepreneur.com, or head over to Facebook to join our special Facebook group, Entrepreneur. See you there.